Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about the various rules that enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about Mind Flayers. <laughs> mind Flayers are an awesome a classic D&D monster that has been around for decades. It is a creature that has been around, I want to say, even since the original D&D in 75, I want to say, Mind Flayers came out. So decades they have been around in one form or another. And even now into 5th edition, they are well supported by the creators of Dungeons & Dragons to the point where, much like the Beholder, they have an entire chapter devoted to them in the Volo's Guide to Monsters. And I'm going to be going between that and the Monster Manual a lot today just to go about part of what makes them so freaking awesome. So a uh, Mind Flayer is actually the colloquial name of the creature. More properly, they are known as Illithids. So throughout a lot of this and through the written material, it is interchangeable to just use Mind Flayer or Illithid. But they are indeed the same creature. So we'll start off with just the mechanics of the basic Mind Flayer. But considering how much I like the creature, they're actually is going to be somewhat lighter on the mechanic side and more talk about the lore for this one because it truly is the lore behind mind flares and how they work even more than their actual mechanical abilities that makes them so interesting and so terrifying if used appropriately so let's start off with the mechanics so a typical mind flare in the monster manual is a challenge rating 7 creature so only a little bit up there, but in all honesty, a single mind flayer is not a significant threat. And for all of the terror that they can that they can inspire if they're utilized correctly, a mind flayer is not meant to be used as a throwaway monster in a situation, and that it is using them correctly and strategizing correctly with them that is the proper way to run a mind flare so we'll get more into that later like i said so first off just on the direct mechanics side so a typical mind flare has a 15 ac 71 hit points and a speed of 30 feet but they are a creature that is humanoid in shape for the most part however they have a very distinctive look and they are featured on a lot of imagery in regards to dungeons and dragons because again they are a classic creature of the game so a mind flayer is that purplish skinned octopus headed humanoid looking creature so it looks like a person who's you know generally slightly on the tall side uh there actually is a description in one of the books that uh in volo's guide i want to say actually that a mind player is going to be between five four and six two and the reason for that specificness i will also get to a little bit later but so slightly on the tall side of average for a human creature, but the octopus-shaped head with four 
long tentacles around their mouth. And they have a round lamprey like mouth with just those that wide gaping mouth just full of pointy teeth. If you ever actually had to so most creatures thankfully never have to see the inside of a mind flayer's mouth because if you get to that point it's already too late anyway so um, there's the stats of them what is kind of interesting about a mind flayer is that because they are a very intelligent creature they do actually get a lot more skills available to them than most monsters tend to so they get arcana deception insight perception persuasion and stealth and with all those skills, they also have dark vision out to 120 feet. So typically speaking in a game, most minor players will be found in the underdark. So they are, along with the drow, some of the classic underground type creatures. And the reasoning for that is because societally, mind flayers are most of the time a group in hiding. But again, we'll go into more of the why of that later. For now, just know that they are creatures of the Underdark for the most part. So they I mentioned that they are incredibly intelligent creatures. And when I say that, I mentioned a bit before, I want to say in the Beholder episode, about how the stats in the monster menu are considered to be an average example of the species. So keep that in mind, that an average human has an intelligence of 10. An average mind flayer has an intelligence of 19. So even more than a Beholder, a mind flayer is unbelievably intelligent. And all of their mental stats are very, very high, while their physical stats are quite on the low side for how iconic a creature they are. So intelligence, average 19, wisdom 17, charisma 17, strength 11, and dex and con both 12. So really average physical stats, but boy, all three of those mental stats are fantastic. Now... Part of what makes a mind flayer so terrifying is the reason that they are called that, a mind flayer. They have a diet of the brain of sentient creatures. They literally cannot survive without eating sentient creatures. So something about either the chemistry of a sentient brain or the psionic energy generated by such depending on exactly what version you are looking at in terms of the mind flare it has to be a sentient brain so even if you had a quote-unquote good mind flare it literally cannot survive without killing people anyway uh um, i keep wanting to dive into the lore early but uh, let me try to stick to the mechanic side for the moment and then we'll get through it quickly because a mind flare really doesn't actually have that many abilities on their character sheet so they do have magic resistance so they have advantage on all saving throws against spells and other magical effects so even if something has a racial ability that is magical in nature they would still get that advantage on the saving throw now part of what defines them they are so smart a creature that most a large majority in fact of mind flayer magic 
is psionic in origin. So instead of it being the typical arcane or divine magic that a huge majority of magic-using creatures use, mind flayers are nearly exclusively psionic. And that gives them a couple of very particular abilities that are rather neat. So uh, they are an intelligence-based spellcaster as psionic, but there's little detail that most people just flat out miss that is, I feel, to be particularly important about psionics. It can innately cast a couple of spells like so many creatures do, but a mind flayer needs no components. And those last two words are incredibly important, but often overlooked because most people will see a class that will just say will require no material components for their racial abilities but no components is different so as a quick refresher on spell casting most spells need some combination of a verbal component a somatic component or a material component mind flayers don't so all of their spells they can cast silently with no motion which would mean that even if a mind flayer somehow were to be captured and tied up, it could still use its magical abilities. Because even if you gagged it somehow, it doesn't need to speak a verbal incantation. It doesn't need any kind of somatic component. A mind flayer can just use any abilities that it can use psionically. And the abilities that they have access to. So at will... So no spell slots, just as much as they have actions to do so, they can cast Detect Thoughts and Levitate. And considering that Detect Thoughts is only a second level spell, that doesn't necessarily sound to be particularly difficult. However, considering the fact that the creature is able to do that without saying anything or moving at all, means that a mind flayer who's able to sneak around with their decent stealth skill can successfully spy on people to lure them, or to learn what would lure them, to devour their brain. And the ability to levitate gives them that little extra ability of motion to be able to hide up, because even in a world of magic, it is a very common flaw to not look up. But even besides their at-will abilities, they also have two more. So once a day, they're, for each of these next two, they can cast Dominate Monster and Plane Shift on themselves. So Dominate Monster is an 8th level spell that all Mind Flayers have, get access to once a day. And one thing that a lot of people forget about the Dominate Monster spell is that even though the spell is called Dominate Monster, what it actually does is let you attempt to dominate any type of creature. So the Dominate Person spell is limited to people. Dominate Monster can just dominate anything. So Mind Flayer, as a species has the ability to attempt to mind control any one creature once a day for an hour. And considering the fact that while under control, it would then be very easy to try to lure someone away or to turn someone useful into a thrall of some kind, that is a horrific ability. 
while they only get it once a day, a mind flayer is very much smart enough to be able to learn how to use that ability in the most efficient way possible. But even besides the dominate, having plane shift is also a very interesting choice. So again, I keep saying this, but I'll get into the lore later on. But plane shift being the ability to shift to the other planes of the world or multiverse, rather giving them once a day, you know, get off this planet free for all intents and purposes. And considering that plane shift can allow you to travel to a teleportation circle in another plane that you know of means that a mind flayer colony that is cleverly set up to just have a teleportation circle in the material plane and then also somewhere in the astral realm or just some other plane and to just have prepared as a safe house would mean it is incredibly difficult to successfully capture a mind flayer because again even if you do manage to knock one out well then as soon as it's conscious it doesn't need to speak or motion to cast its abilities meaning it can say nothing and just completely vanish from the planet so a mind flayer is not a creature that should fight to the death in you know a normal party situation a mind flayer is again incredibly intelligent and should know when it's a losing situation and just run from a fight in the first place and given that ability they have even if it's a high level party that ability is really hard to stop unless they just happen to have counterspell available to block it but even so a smart mind flayer should never ever just be alone in open combat against a party. So that being said, the actions that a mind flayer does have access to. So first off, tentacles. It tries to grab a creature with its tentacles, doing a decent amount of psychic damage, and grappling them automatically if they just hit with the tentacle attack. And in addition to the damage and the grab... A creature makes an intelligence saving throw or be stunned until the grapple ends. Eh, hmm, actually, that gives a thought. We should probably do an episode on conditions at one point just to go through all of those because that would be valuable. Anyway, so given the fact that intelligence saving throws are one of the rarest in D&D and that intelligence as a stat is incredibly commonly the dump stat for a lot of melee focused characters it is very very easy for a mind flayer to pick targets that will have a very hard time escaping its grapple from its tentacles so just to go over it real quick, we probably will go into a conditions episode later on, though. So a stunned creature can't move, can't take any actions or reactions, automatically fails dexterity and strength saving throws, and all attack rolls against them while they're stunned have advantage. And this is its at-will tentacles ability. So the fact that it can just stun creatures like that is incredibly powerful. However, as bad as that is, that's just the setup for Extract Brain. So it can only use this ability against 
a incapacitated humanoid that is grappling so it has to be grappled and stunned for it to even be able to use this ability to do 10 d10 piercing damage trying to rip out the creature's brain and if the damage that 10 d10 reduces a creature to zero hit points it immediately kills the target by extracting and devouring its brain and that is horrific for a number of reasons for a character in that no death saving throws at all because if it is reduced to zero hit points automatically instantly dead and even in a somewhat higher magic dnd setting it is worse even in a low magic setting because by devouring the brain it is inordinately harder to resurrect a person killed by this because most resurrection spells i want to say all of them except true resurrection do not regenerate lost body parts meaning that revivify raise dead none of those tiers of spells would be able at all to bring back someone killed by extract brain and finally they have an ability called mind blast and this is a very very powerful ability as well so much so that it's a recharge ability so most abilities that creatures have can be used either at will or a certain number of times a day recharge abilities are much rarer amongst all dnd creatures and the way that those work is they start the battle with the power available but once it's used at the start of each subsequent turn it rolls a d6 and if the d6 gets whatever number the recharge requires then it gets the ability back if not it doesn't and then just has to wait until it finally does roll well enough to get the ability back so in this case mind blast is a recharge five or six power meaning on that d6 after it uses the ability it has to roll and see uh, and has to roll and see if you get a five or six it gets the ability back if you get a one to four it does not and what it does is a psychic energy blast in a 60 foot cone so that is an enormous area of effect so you all know by now how much i truly love the action economy so an area of effect with a 60 foot range even though it is a cone which is slightly on the smaller side than you know compared to a sphere so many creatures can be caught in an effect of that size so if you have a group of mind flayers that all have the ability to unleash mind blast then that overlap is horrifically dangerous for a large area of the field and again it is intelligence saving throw which most creatures are not great at and it does a decent amount of psychic damage 48 plus 4 however if they fail that saving throw they also again get stunned for one minute a minute it does get to repeat that saving throw at the end of each subsequent turn but nonetheless considering that a single mind flare can stun 
stun an entire party if they just do badly on their saving throws. A smart mind flayer with the right terrain set up around it can easily wipe out a low level party. I mean, honestly, even a party that's, I would say, you know, let's say if you've got five level three characters, a single mind flare is probably able to wipe them out entirely because all they have to do is mind blast and then the fighter and the rogue would probably get stunned and then they could just focus on the cleric, grab it with their tentacles, extract its brain and 10d10 damage at that level is almost certainly fatal. So even though I said earlier a mind flare is not likely to engage directly in combat, it is certainly able to, in the right situation, do horrific damage to a party. But again, that would be dangerous to the mind flare itself, because if a mind flare is alone, then numbers will always have a rather significant advantage due to the action economy. If it just rolled badly in initiative, well, that mind flayer is in trouble. And that's it in terms of actual powers. It only has those psionic abilities, tentacles, extract brain, and mind blast. That's it. So why is it then that a mind flayer is so scary? And that is where we dive into the lore side of illithids so in the volo's guide to monsters there is an entire chapter devoted specifically to them mind flayers scourge of worlds and that is in fact literal mind flayers are and are capable of and have destroyed entire worlds through the history of D&D. And the way that they do that is absolutely horrific. So before I get into the exact details of how, let me go first into a little bit about Mind Flayer society, because that actually is rather important to how this all works. So Mind Flayers, as smart as they are, have a creature above them that rules over them. And that creature is called the Elder Brain. And this is an enormous brain that just lives in a brine pool of cerebral fluid. And this is a psychic hub for all mind flayers within five miles of it. I want to say, and I'm reasonably confident in saying, that this five mile radius is one of the highest ranges of any ability that any monster has. Because even though there are creatures that might have a single ability, that can reach more than five miles, like a ranger in its favorite terrain is able to sense a creature within six miles of it. But the exact just sheer versatility that an elder brain's radius has is horrifying because while it's true that the elder brain is, for all intents and purposes, a mind flare hive mind, as bad as that is, it gets worse. So even besides 
illithids in its radius, it is aware of every single creature within that five miles of it, with an intelligence score of four or higher. However, unlike the ranger's similar ability, the elder brain knows the distance and direction to each and every creature, as well as each one's intelligence score. That is horrifying. So if you have a Mind Flayer colony ruled over by an Elder Brain, a sentient creature cannot sneak up on them. The only way to do so is if you have some kind of magic that blocks your mind. So there's the spell, uh, non-detection, mind blank. Uh, There's a ring of mind shielding item that could potentially work. But if you don't have some of that constantly running on every member of your party, the elder brain knows you're coming. And I mentioned a minute ago also that the elder brain acts as a hive mind for all mind flares under its area. And that is literal. Everything that any single mind flare sees, hears, anything the elder brain knows and can coordinate the rest. So if you have a single mind flare that happens to see the party, they can pass on the word and then teleport themselves out of danger with their plane shift. So why is it then that even with all of that, it doesn't sound particularly scary. They're still just creatures, but it's their reproduction that honestly gives it that extra squick factor into a truly horrifying creature. And that is because mind flayers reproduce not by sexual reproduction. Mind flayers lay eggs that hatch into tadpoles. So all mind flayers are hermaphroditic. So any single mind flayer can lay eggs to create new tadpoles. These tadpoles tend to live in the brine pool of the elder brain until a humanoid creature is brought before them and a single tadpole is inserted into the creature's ear or nasal canal, burrowing in and eating the creature's brain. And as it eats the brain, it takes over the space where the brain was and begins a process called seromorphosis that over the next week transforms that humanoid into a new adult mind flare. And if that happens, that creature, due to the fact that their body has been so corrupted by this process, Unless you're able to stop it within 30 minutes of the tadpole beginning its duties, that creature cannot be resurrected by anything short of true resurrection or wish because of the fact that, again, that body is corrupted from the inside out. So a mind flayer is not just able to mind control people. Its reproduction process 
literally turns people into new mind flayers. So then the more mind flayers that are out there, the more that they can spread. The more that they spread, the more colonies they create, and so on and so on, until you get to the point where everything is under their control. And that scarily easy ability to spread is part of what makes mind flayers so goddamn terrifying. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Refwake Podcast, on Facebook as Refwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.